Welcome to Less Than or Equal, the podcast about pursuing equality in geekdom by celebrating the diverse in their accomplishments. I am your host, Aline Sims, and today I am joined by Sharif Jackson. Sharif, welcome. Thank you. I'm really happy to be here. Let's talk some geek stuff. All right. So who are you? I am a human being. I have two arms, uh, two legs, a head. Mm. Uh, I breathe oxygen, um, all kind of stuff. Um, but aside from that, um, just to make sure that people know that I'm not an alien or something, um, I am a person that loves, uh, you know, uh, geek stuff in general, specifically um um, science. Um, I'm really into science. I run a science blog um, where I focus on uh, diversity in science as well as just cool stories and uh, things, um, you know, that is sort of adapted for the uh, normal person that's not as much of a science geek as I am because um, I'm really big on like communication um, and using a language that everybody can understand. Um, so that's at sharifjackson.com um, as well as a gaming. Um, y- a YouTube series that like I run on diversity in gaming uh, called Gaming Looks Good, which is also on SharifJackson.com. And I'm also a podcaster. Um, I've been doing a podcast for about f- uh, four years um, called Operation Cubicle, uh, which focuses on uh, geeks of color um, in the corporate workspace. Um, so we just talk about sort of some of the funny and the not so funny stuff that we deal with um, every day in the corporate space. And that's also at SharifJackson.com. So all my stuff you can find there. <laughs> I was going to say, it's like you have one centralized place where people can figure out all the stuff that you do. Yeah, well, well, it's pretty interesting because for the last few um, years, I always wanted to keep my podcasting stuff and my um, other stuff separate. So I branded, branded them kind of separately. I had different websites for both. Um, and I was mainly kind of worried like, oh, what if somebody is, you know, searching my name and they find out this podcast where I'm, you know, where I'm not always using the best of language. Um, but you know, after a while I was like, you know what, this, this is my personality. This is my brand. And I just decided to, uh, combine it all on one. Um, especially since, you know, it's not like people are just randomly listening to links on your website for stuff unless they already, you know, have some, you know, thing in their mind. So um, I think it's more helpful to the user base. Um, and it's just cool for me because I can just make one business card with everything instead of the two that I'm currently doing. Oh, gosh. Yeah. That saves in money and space and all of that. Yeah. So do you still have um, it's it's interesting that you brought up like those concerns about having the podcast and, you know, do how closely do you want it associated with, you know, other, other aspects of, of yourself? Um, because that's something I've thought about a lot, um, with my show, like I've got a, I've got a good job. I, I don't think I'm in danger of losing it. Like, I don't think I'm going to be looking for a new job anytime soon, but sometimes I wonder if this podcast would be detrimental to future job prospects. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely something that I thought about early on. Um, but as I, you know, have been doing this, I've found that it's more of an asset than anything. Um, you know, it shows that I, you know, not only have a command of sort of the technical aspects of, you know, delivering a project, which I think is important regardless of the industry, that like you can conceptualize a project and see it through. 
Um, but it also shows that I can, you know, work with someone because I have a like uh, a, a like co-host and we have kind of completely different personalities. So it kind of shows, you know, that like I can be like a team player and a project manager, essentially. Um, and, and it just shows that, you know, I just don't take things too seriously, um, which I've definitely found um, is something that a lot of people look for um, in terms of good employees is they want people that can be serious when they need to, but are not like so serious that they can't kind of lay back and, you know, and like kick around some uh, jokes with the other employees. So I've found that it's actually been an asset to my career, um, which is why I decided to combine and p- put them all under the uh, SharifJackson.com banner. That's comforting. Uh, so gaming looks good. Can we talk about that a little bit? Because I I don't watch YouTube videos a whole lot, but I watch gaming looks good. Oh, awesome. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Why did you decide to start? Well, actually, first, could you explain the premise of gaming looks good um, a little bit more in depth to to people who aren't familiar? Sure. Uh, so gaming looks good is a, is a YouTube video series, which is currently on its 11th uh, video. Um, and I basically started it because I saw that, you know, obviously there's a lot of gaming videos out there. There's a lot of Let's Plays, you know, which is a video series where people play through an entire game. Um, there's like the standard like uh, reviews, you know, that IGN and some of the the uh, b- bigger gaming sites do and then there's sort of like the ones that sort of delve really into the analysis of a games and i think probably the best known of those is uh the uh the uh feminist frequency tropes in uh in a video games um sorry tropes of women in a video games um that uh she does um and i kind of wanted to do a combination of what she does and the let's plays um so i wanted to look at it from the lens of um, you know, race and gender diversity, because I didn't see a lot on the race side. I saw a lot on the gender side. Um, but just because of, you know, where we are in the industry, I don't see a lot of people of color making video content about games that specifically cause out issues of color in those games. Um, so, so I saw a niche that, you know, I thought was something that was important to fill, Um, so I did that. So my videos are a combination of let's plays because I sort of, you know, I show gameplay clips where I'm going through and then I pause it and I talk about that uh, clip. So, so, um, that's sort of a a short description of what they are. Um, they're about usually, usually between 10 and 20 minutes in length. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I really have fun doing them. I really, um, there are several elements that I enjoy. I like the t-shirt of the week or the t-shirt of the episode. Yes. Um, where you wear, well, I go, you should probably explain that. <laughs> you- yes. Yeah. So because it's on video and, you know, I'm featured on the video along with the footage, um, I wear a different t-shirt, um, usually from a cause I support or another show that I really like. Um, and I like to, uh, feature that, you know, you know, just to give some, uh, other people some more shine. Um, and just because I love geeky t-shirts. Um, so it's sort of a win-win. <laughs> and if you're like me, you're never going to run out because I, I don't know what happens. It's like my geeky t-shirts, like asexually reproduce or something because like I have this stack, <laughs> this ever growing stack of geeky t-shirts. 
Yeah, yeah. I have so many, and it's so funny because I was having a conversation with my girlfriend, and I was mentioning how much clothes she has, and like, and like, she was like, "Do you know how how many t-shirts you have?" <laughs> and like, I was like, "Yeah, you're right." <laughs> like, if if you think of it that way, I do have a lot, a lot. Yep, yep. <laughs> and there's always more. Anyway, um, so you are directly responsible for me wanting to get a Wii U and buy Splatoon. Um, so I, I want you to know that, (laughs) that yesterday, well, Target was having a, a pretty, pretty decent sale on like, if you bought a Wii U, you could get select Wii U games for like half off. And, and I was like, this is the time to buy. And, um, and there, there was like a two-hour throughout the day, two-hour discussion about whether we should go get a Wii U. But like, <laughs> it had never entered my mind that I might want one. Like, I heard about Splatoon, but it wasn't until I saw your episode of Gaming Looks Good on it that I was like, oh, I want to play this game. Oh, well, uh, thanks. I, re- I really appreciate that. Um, but yeah, it's a really fun game. Um, you know, obviously, I call out some issues in the video um, in terms of like representation that they could do a better job at but um all in all like the mechanics are sound um it's an interesting game in that it doesn't have voice chat but people still tend to fall into roles um so i found that i could still accurately like communicate with uh teammates um even though you know like there wasn't somebody yelling on uh voice chat telling me how like horrible i was and, and how much of a terrible person i am um, like, like most voice chat right. uh, kind of multiplayer games. Um, so I, I, I highly recommend it. And I do think this is a good, jo- a good time to buy a Wii U, um, just because, you know, they've built up a library at this point where if anybody is on the edge, it's not going to get much better than this. When you think of like Mario Kart and Smash Brothers, um, and Mario 3D World and Captain Toad and Wind Waker like remake like there there's a, like a good amount of games um, that uh, you can get I think to to like us to like satisfy pretty much any gaming want any gaming um, preference that you have except for sort of like the triple A third party experience because like Nintendo doesn't really have that in mm-hmm. the this generation so if you want like the assassin's creeds and call of duties and that kind of stuff that's not going to appear on a nintendo console um and if it does it'll be like a halfway port yeah (laughs) of that well and i I was as you were talking i was standing here thinking about for the wii the first wii i think almost all of the games we had were nintendo's you know nintendo titles mario kart uh yeah, like I'm I'm not good at names. So I'm thinking about but like they were all like the 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 3D planet one that made me dizzy and I couldn't play and Mario Galaxy. Yes, thank you. I hated I hated it. I it's wanted a great, to like it's, it. It's it's an excellent game. I know. I just I I got I would get so disoriented, you know, cuz cuz you're Mario and you jump onto like a little planet and you're like running around and I just I couldn't I couldn't my spatial skills, my spatial recognition isn't good enough for me to be able to do that. So it was disappointing. But like all of the <laughs> Wii U games we or all of the Wii games we had were, you know, they were Nintendo titles. 
Yeah, I, I mean, that's what they excel at. I mean, that is definitely like when you buy a Nintendo system, you're so, you, you should buy it with the understanding that the best games are going to be like Nintendo titles. And that's why the third party support has suffered because most third parties know that, I mean, to be frank, that the, that the Nintendo games are done so well and superior to their games that they can't sell substandard games like they can on on xbox one and ps4 like like on the xbox one and like ps4 you can still sell a trillion copies of a broken assassin's creed unity game um because people just want it you know and like you can sell you you, you know like games like watchdogs where people were super disappointed with it um even though watchdogs did come out on the wii u it was like way later you know so so um yeah I think that you know that that like the 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 uh, the uh, Nintendo made games are always going to be the strongest on a Nintendo console. Now all I need is a is a time machine or to not <laughs> need to sleep so that I can like you know somehow cycle this in better like I don't know. Yeah, I've definitely been playing a lot of Splatoon this weekend cuz it just came out on Friday so I I've sacrificed some sleep this weekend. Um, because in between sort of like or organizing my apartment, because, uh, we just moved not too long ago. So in between that and like, there's been a bunch of like festivals and stuff. And like, because, you know, I got to play these games for the video series. Um, so, so yeah, you know, so, you know, so, sometimes doing the things that like I mentioned in terms of the blogging, podcasting and like the videos, I, you know, I love it, but it's definitely a labor of love because, you know, sometimes you're going to be up till 2, 3 a.m. editing or, you know, or writing that last minute story um, or that kind of stuff, you know. So so you really do have to love it to to um, do it. Yeah, it's a sh I was standing here thinking, why did I start a podcast on diversity and not a podcast on gaming? Because then I could justify the time. But <laughs> well, well, I, I will say that a lot of your guests have have been uh, have been from gaming. That's true. Yeah, I've I've been really lucky. It's been so much fun. Um, so what does so you have a podcast, a video podcast, and then you um are a not infrequent guest on Spawn on Me. Yes. So um, what what does that look like for you? Because I know, um, especially if you're doing the editing, how time consuming it can be. So, like your days must be super hectic. <laughs> Yeah, they're pretty hectic. I mean, my my job is, you know, I'm a data analyst, um, so that can mean a number of things, but I basically do a lot of, like, SQL programming and, like, database kind of management, making sure that I'm getting clients the correct data for their reports and that kind of stuff. Um, so that is the kind of job where, you know, the hours are, you know, 9 to 5, but if something happens at 4.55, you know, I have to stay and do it, you know, so it definitely ends up being usually um, more than typical 40 hour weeks. Um, yeah, it's just a matter of I've just had to get super organized, you know, like if I get home on a Monday, um, you know, and I know that I, I, I need to edit Operation Cubicle. I know that, you know, I tell my girlfriend and I kind of block out like this is my editing time. Um, as I've gotten older, I've really had to do that more like explicitly block out time um, to work on things because otherwise it just, it just doesn't get done. And I can't really just fly, fly off the seat of my pants like I did in my 
in my twenties where, you know, I I was just like, Oh, I'll get to it kind of when I get to it, you know, um, because of the amount of stuff I'm doing, I have to, to do it that way, but it's a benefit because I really love all this stuff. And if I had to stop doing any one of them, I think that I would suffer emotionally and I would suffer kind of, you know, that would be a physical kind of suffering as well. Um, and that in turn means I wouldn't do the other stuff better. So it's kind of weird because like some people say, you know, that like you don't want to spread yourself out thin, like you want to do less so that you can focus on more. And for me, it's kind of the opposite. If I do less, I'll do that stuff worse mm-hmm. <laughs> be- because I'll miss the other things that I know I love. Interesting. So hmm. <laughs> I'm trying to th- like, I don't think I could take more on. But I'm trying to think if if I could let go of anything I'm doing now. And I I think I'm in the same boat as you are. Like I still there's still so much value that comes out of, you know, the podcasting I do and the writing I do and my job. And, you know, like what would be the first thing I'd give up? And oh, wow. I I couldn't pick. Yeah. And I, I mean, anytime I think that I'm too busy. I'm always like, look, I don't have any kids, okay? And, you know, at this point, like, I think of, like, my mom who, you know, um, you know, she was married er- early on when I was born, but she got divorced and she pretty much worked two jobs every day and still cooked for us and still took us out and did all that stuff. Like, that's being busy, mm-hmm. you know? And she had, like, the stress of, you know, being living check to check to check, basically. So like, I'm not really that strict. I I don't have, I'm not that busy, <laughs> you yeah. know, like, like I could always get busier, you know? So I always think of it kind of that way that I'm privileged in such a way that I don't really have to think about, you know, providing for dependents. Um, and I don't have, you know, and like, I don't have the same kind of financial sh- struggles that um, she had as well. So, you know, I, I kind of think of it as, you know, I know everything is like relative, but you know, I'm not really that busy. <laughs> that's a good point. That is a good point. And well, that's part of the reason why I've chosen not to have children is because, you know, then it would be too much. Right. And I wouldn't be able to let the child go. Like there are. Yeah. <laughs> there are just kind of some lines I can't cross and that's one of them. So, uh, so I asked on Twitter earlier if anybody had any questions for you to to ask on the show and the only one i got was from my friend joe rosensteel um and he does a podcast called defocused which is a mm-hmm. about movies okay. and he said i think i need you I, I think i need sharif to explain the outfit on his twitter avatar um so would you talk about that a little bit sure uh so my current twitter profile avatar um I'm dressed up as Worf uh, from Star Trek, uh, The Next Generation, and Deep Space Nine. Um, so if if you're familiar with the series, uh, and like I'm not saying you specifically, just people in the that are listening. Um, so Worf was like a Klingon, um, you know, who was uh, worked on the bridge um, and fixed everything and, and was awesome. Um, and I liked him because, you, 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 you know, he, you know, him and Jordy were the people, you know, of a darker hue that were part of the main cast. So, um, you know, so like I always kind of liked Worf. So like when, um, Chicago comic-con, I'm also known as like 
C2E2, the Chicago Comic and Entertainment Expo, came up this year, I said, you know what? I'm a cosplay as Worf. Um, so I didn't go super hardcore with it. I mean, I didn't like get a prosthetic, uh, Klingon forehead or like that kind of stuff. Um, basically I went to thinkgeek.com and they had like a wharf cosplay outfit. Um, and, and, and I got that. Um, and you know, I also ended up getting a, a, a phaser, uh, at the con. Um, it, it, it was an original Star Trek series phaser, so it, didn't quite fit um but i was like screw it i mean if uh, people are gonna nerd check me about that they can go to hell um and i also got um there was like a guy that was basically selling these id badges that looked kind of like badges that you would have in like high school um and it had like the names of like uh, different people so i got a wharf one and i put that on my uh star trek communicator that was like on my chest like the badge mm-hmm. um so i walked around with that and it was awesome because i was the only wharf there um which was pretty amazing to me seriously yeah i was the only wharf there um you know i saw i saw a couple of other star trek um people i saw i saw like a diana troy i saw um a, a data i, I actually I, I saw a bunch of datas um, I saw one really, really young kid that was Jordy, which was awesome. Um, you, you know, and, and, um, and I saw, who else? Oh, oh yeah, I, I did see a, uh, Spock, of course. Um, you, you, you know, which I guess the next generation, but you know, it was obviously in the old and the new reboots of, uh, Star Trek. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I just had a great time. It, it's just, you know, I don't cosplay a lot, and it was just so much fun just walking around and having people take your photo and kind of like, you know, just, you know, just like having people just start up random conversations with you because of what you're wearing. Um, at the same time, it really made me think a lot about sort of, you know, the 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 privilege I have as a guy to have so many choices to cosplay that aren't just where I have to get in some ridiculously skimpy, um, or revealing outfit, um, and thus have people that want to start up random conversations with me, you know, possibly have ulterior or ulterior motives. And that's something that I try to think about a lot is, you know, that I'm enjoying something and like, I'm kind of like, well, you know, um, this kind of really, really brings to light things that I've read about from other women especially that are like you know i love to cosplay but i have to deal with all this all this stuff um so um yeah it was it it was a it it was a interesting weekend in chicago um and i had a lot of fun so that's uh that's the story behind the uh avatar yeah i'm surprised there weren't more wharfs though he's one of my he's one of my favorite characters across all the star trek franchises yeah, he's awesome. But now I'm trying to think about like at Phoenix Comic Con and San Diego Comic Con, have I seen any wharfs? And I'm not sure, but it's it's been so long since I've been able to attend either of those. So, um, but yeah, he's he's this really. I thought it, as an adult looking back on the original series, not the original series, as an adult looking back on the next generation. Um, and rewatching it, like I probably rewatch it once a year or so, select episodes. Mm-hmm. And he, Worf is one of the more complex characters on the show. You know, he's um, he's 
super conflicted about like being half Klingon and or about being Klingon and being raised by humans and um, having his son who's being raised by humans and what their relationship looks like and and what their expectations are. And, you know, I, I just think he's such an amazing, cool character and it's, you know, he needs to be cosplayed more. I completely agree with you. I have a mission for anyone who <laughs> listens. Cosplay is wharf. Yes, more wharfs. You know, can can you imagine having a, a wharf dance party at C2E2? You know, oh you know, my gosh. Just be a bunch of wharfs in the middle of the of the, of, of the exhibit hall just yes. getting down. With mm-hmm. various stages of the hair growing out process. <laughs> yeah. You know, so you've got kind of like that bowl cut for a while and then you've got the long hair. Yeah. I'm 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 liking it. I think I think it needs to happen. I'm down. So you down. also went to Wiscon. Was it last weekend? Uh, yes, it was. Yeah, it was. How was that? It was great. It was great. Um, I really love Wiscon. It's a nice, um, safe space that really um, goes above and beyond to make um, you know con attendees of any like literally like you know race, gender. Um, and any identification of like disability, um, or, uh, mental health, um, status, like they really, um, make everyone feel comfortable and you feel that kind of family, um, warmth. Um, you, you, you know, it's like one of the few cons that I've been to that really feels that way and that pe- people are honestly, um, you know, really interested interested in reaching out and getting to know people that they have never met before or somebody that might be different from them in like some way. Like I really felt that. Um, and while I was there, I was a part of three panels. Um, so I moderated one on podcasts for beginners, um, which was great. So we went over kind of the basics of not only like the technical side of like podcasting, but like more about like the feelings behind it, the marketing, the fears, you know, um, all that kind of stuff. Cause I feel like that psychological part of it is usually much more impactful than, you know, learning how to use audacity, mm-hmm. you know, to edit stuff. Um, I also participated on a panel called why I need diverse games, uh, which was, uh, you know, by, by a tiny to pass of like, I of, I need diverse games. So we, you know, just talked about like diversity in video gaming and like how that, you know, affects us. And like, it was a fantastic panel, had, had a great time. Um, and the last panel that I was on was called our, our casual gamers, real gamers. Um, so it really talked about, you know, the explosion of the casual market and, and how there's sort of this, you know, um, movement, um, of like gamers that don't like that and think that, you know, that any game that's not a traditional 50 hour, super difficult game is somehow not a real game, you know? So we talked about that, um, and how, you know, basically most of these labels are BS. (laughs) Um, so I, yeah, I, I was like on those three panels and just had a blast just meeting people, and just, you know, I, you know, just like a lot of great networking for the website and the videos and all that. And, you know, it, it just felt good. It just left me very energized to, you know, continue doing what I'm doing. 
It was really interesting um, for me to watch Twitter as as Wisconsin was happening, which is um, for those of you don't who don't know, it's um, in Wisconsin and it's a feminist convention really is how it started. I think it's you know, it still is, but it's talking about more facets of feminist issues, I guess, than um, maybe people realize. But so you were there and Tanya Pass was there. And um, I do a podcast on uh, Jim and the Holograms with Tempest Bradford. And she was there on the literary track yep. um, doing some panels. And um, so I was seeing all of these in, you know, Maddie Myers and um, Apple yes, Cider I'd, from Justice Points. Yes, I finally got to meet Maddie and I was thrilled. <laughs> I was so thrilled. Isn't she awesome? Yes. Yeah. So like there are all of these people and I'm at home in miserable Phoenix, not going to panels and meeting cool people. And I was so jealous. Um, Mm. But it looked like you all had a blast and it looked like you made so many awesome connections while you were there. Yeah, I, I really did. I I, I mean, I, I, I didn't get to go last year, but I went the year before. Um, But yeah, just, just like, it's just something that, you know, I really want to keep keep on going to. It's been going on for a while, I think maybe 30 years or mm-hmm. so. This was like the 39th um, conference. Um, and, yeah, it's just it's great and inspiring and fun and weird and quirky. It's 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 just like everything that I look for in in a, in, in, in a, in a conference um, this one has it. And it's not so big that you get lost or swarmed with trillions of people or something which i also appreciate just the experience at a lot of comic cons nowadays it seems like yes like i really appreciate you know that i think that geekdom that geeky things and nerdy things are becoming more socially acceptable and that's why we're seeing kind of the surge in people wanting to go to cons and celebrate these things and i really think that's great but on the other hand, it's just exhausting when you go to them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, as much as I loved C two E two, I definitely was freaking exhausted when I was done because you're walking this huge conference hall. You know, like like, like there's one panel here, and then you have to walk like you know 15 minutes across this huge thing and you might get like distracted by something mm-hmm. or meet up with someone and then miss a panel. And then like they're, they're, they're like, Hey, like this exhibit is in, you know, G five, three, two on the grid. And I'm like, what? <laughs> so, um, yeah, yeah, it, it, it can definitely, um, that's definitely a con of, uh, some of these bigger, um, of these bigger, uh, cons. Is that, you know, they're, they're just too big. Um, so let's talk about Operation Cubicle a little bit. Sure. You've been doing it for four years. How did you get started? I mean, j- j- just like I mentioned with the, uh, with the gaming videos, like I saw a niche that wasn't filled. I mean, you know, I, at, at that point, um, I had been working for, you know, about, um, six years, um, as a data analyst, um, you know, and, you know, I've always been one of the few people of color at my level, um, at the different companies that I've worked for. Um, so, so we've always had like discussions about, you know, being mistaken for other black people or being asked like embarrassing questions or, you know, not wanting to go to the company dance because people will expect you to, you know, do the freaking, you know, like whatever, like hip hop dance is going on. So like just kind of 
all these conversations that I've always had in the background with um, other people in similar kind of situations, you know, and at that time I was listening to a lot of podcasts and like, I was like, I don't hear anything that's bringing this perspective, you know? Um, so my co-host JP Fairfield um, was in a, a similar boat. So, so I, you, you know, and, and, and we had a, um, a third host, uh, B Cole as well. So we just, all said, Hey, let's do this show. So we kind of hashed out like the structure, the frequency, um, and all that stuff. And we just started, you know, and the show has come a long way. Um, we, now it's just me and uh, JP there that they're doing it, but like we, we've had some like fantastic guests, great conversation. And to be honest, it's something that I look forward to recording because I can sort of get all this stuff that was on my mind off in audio form, um, you know, every uh, week or two. So um, I really love it. It's nice to have like that catharsis about things. Like I can go, I can go talk about this with people who understand and, you know, provide a resource for you know, one people who don't and two people are also in this boat and maybe feeling alone. Right. Right. Exactly. And like, that's a lot of the feedback that we got and like still continue to get is like, Hey, I thought I was the only one that thought these thoughts or like, or like, thank you for giving me something to listen to while I'm working in this office where I'm the only person of color, you know? Um, so uh, yeah, we, we've, uh, definitely been able to connect with a lot of people that are in similar situations as well as people that are not in that situation, but never thought about how the person of color in their office might be feeling. Right. So, so like uh, we've also gotten a lot of like a feedback from, from white listeners or from, you know, other kinds of like a listeners that like say like, Hey, I really appreciate what you've brought to this because we honestly didn't think that there was any issue. You know, so, um, so I see it's, it's, it's been good to, um, bring that, um, that perspective to the airwaves. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. White people. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Just, you know, we, people in general don't stop to think about other perspectives because we're so busy thinking about our own. Um, so it's nice to have outside stuff coming in and. Um, that's the one thing I've really appreciated about having this podcast and becoming friends with, um, with more people of color because I've always grown up and lived in white areas, unfortunately. So, um, you know, it's been invaluable to broadening my, um, my perspectives on things. So. Okay. Yeah. 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 I, I definitely agree that like podcasting has that great effect of like, you know, letting you know what else is like out there, whether it's negative or positive. So what's the one thing that has surprised you since you started podcasting? Like, and just something you didn't expect would happen. I think one thing that like surprised me was, um, how much you have to work to get feedback from your audience. Mm -hmm. I used to think that that was kind of directly tied into the quality of your show. Um, but what I've found is that whether your show is crappy or good, 
the amount of feedback that you get depends on how much you go out and get that feedback. Like as a host, I find myself constantly have to, you know, ask people directly. And like, I think this goes kind of outside of podcasting, just sort of like entrepreneurship in general is you have to be the most excited person marketing your stuff and the most excited person soliciting feedback. Because if people don't see you excited, then why should they be excited? You know, Mm -hmm. Um, so I found that all it takes is an ask and you'll get great feedback. But I thought that it was more like, well, once my show gets to a certain download level and a certain sound quality, I'll automatically get feedback, you know, and that really hasn't been the case for me. Um, I get tons of feedback now, um, but but a lot of times we have to prod people and or like specifically tweet the show to people or like there are times where I'll tweet out the show on the Operation Cube Twitter account and I'll tweet it out with a specific question that we asked during the show. And that's like a way for people to sort of, you know, give that feedback as well because they'll answer that question because they'll see it on their feed. Um, so like uh, that's been really interesting how the feedback is sort of more related to your efforts and getting it than sort of the quality of the show. I always feel weird asking for feedback, so I don't do it as much as I think I should, like, you know, iTunes reviews and that kind of thing. Yeah, I was the exact same way. I was I was like, I don't want to bother anybody. Right. And, and And like if they really like it, they'll like leave feedback. But like then I thought like of all the shows and websites and video games that I play, do I leave feedback for all of those? Even the ones I love? No. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But if somebody asks me about it, I'll tell them my, I'll tell them my opinion on it. So I sort of took that same approach that people are really busy and they're consuming a lot of like content. You have to go out and get that feedback. It's not just going to come to you unless you, you know, are you know, a celebrity or something like that. Yeah. (laughs) And then you'll probably get too, and then you'll probably get too much of it. And most of it will talk about how, how horrible you are. (laughs) The worst people ever. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I've been surprised by the number of friends I have made as a direct result of this show specifically. Mm, That's a good one. I have, you know, there's you and Khalif and, uh, Steve Lubitz and um, Anna Tarkov and Jessica Dennis and oh my gosh I'm forgetting people you know like like I have so many friends now um, you know and I'm going to San Francisco um, in a week so we're recording this a little preemptively to to give myself some room but like so I'm going to San Francisco in a week and I'm like I don't know if I'm going to have enough time to talk to all the people I want to talk to surrounding you know around wwdc because i know so many cool people who are going to be there now whereas like four years ago that was not an issue when my husband was going to wwdc it was just like all right well i'm gonna go play and he's gonna be in conferences and right so many neat people yeah 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 it's it's um you know i agree with you there that i've definitely met a lot of great people not only with podcasting but the internet in general just over twitter and stuff like that i mean don't get me wrong i've definitely met some annoying people that i wish i've never met but um but like that's just life right that's the same thing if you're meeting people in bars or whatever you know it's 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 the same thing so 
So, um, yeah, I, I'm on board with you there in terms of meeting awesome people through podcasts. What is, um, have you received a lot of negative feedback for Operation Cubicle or is it just kind of every once in a while one-off things? Um, I would say that the positive feedback definitely dominates, but we have received a fairly consistent um, line of negative feedback, which is basically um, stuff that a lot of people of color that are content creators face, which is why this podcast focusing on black things and like you're eliminating part of your potential audience because, you know, because you put the word black in your profile um and like uh what what happens if we started up like a operation cubicle about white people in the workspace like would that be racist you know so like so like i you know that's sort of the consistent level of um negative feedback that we get um early on we definitely got some feedback on the audio quality i would say the first 10 episodes the audio was pretty bad um but we got that kind of cleared up as we learned how to edit better and get better mics and that kind of thing um, so that sort of stuff on the technical side, I don't really hear anymore, but yeah, there's always that line, which I also get on the gaming looks good stuff as well. Um, which is, you, you know, like uh, diversity is overblown and like, we just want to play games and stop, stop trying to inject your, your politics into my games and, you know, kind of that stuff. So as though there aren't like 50,000 other YouTube shows doing exactly that for them. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, th- I think one of my favorite takes on this is when we were um, interviewing Lee Alexander on Spawn on Me, and like she was like, "Yes, I have an agenda. Like every writer has an agenda, you know. Like uh, it's just if you agree with my agenda or not, that's fine. But you know, I'm paid to write from. You know, she uh, said like I'm paid to write my opinions. You know, and that's it you know and like that's the same way that i feel with like this stuff is you know you could feel free to listen to whatever you want you don't have to listen to my show or read my stuff ever again if it bothers you so much that we even mention the fact that this isn't some post-racial society (laughs) so but like you don't speaking on behalf of every white person ever like we don't like thinking about that as though anybody does well, I mean, we we would love not to think right. about it either, but it's our probably lives, more you know? so, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's our lives. Like we, it's around us every day. It affects decisions that we make, the people we interact with, how how we're perceived. So it's not like this logical, uh, you know, thought exercise for us. You know, it's like life or death. To be honest, when you look at a lot of these cases of, of people getting killed um, for this kind of stuff, so you know. And like, it is complex and it's difficult, you know, and we never, I don't think anyone in this diversity space ever tries to tell, um, white people that it's just easy. All you gotta do is talk about it. Like it's a difficult thing to assess your own privilege. Well, and and it's, yeah, I mean, I've talked about it before and I, I think I talked about it when Khalif was on a few weeks ago. Like, like I was always taught that, um, that this systematic oppression was behind us like it was over in the 1960s it's behind us and because i grew up in white communities and continue to live in white communities um you know it it's it was something i accepted because that's just what i've always been taught and ferguson was the worst wake up call i've ever had 
Um, mm. Like I, I couldn't sleep. I, I mean, it, it was bad and um, it's hard, but dear white people, you can do it. Like I've got <laughs> news for you. Like you can realize that this is happening and you can take steps to make things better. And there's no reason not to. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it has to be a concerted effort from from everyone, you know, um, to get rid of sort of this patriarchal stuff that's sort of weaved into our society. I mean, because that's the sense of privilege that I've had to assess as of late, because when when I was growing up, I was always like, hey, I'm a young black man in the hood. I don't have any privilege, mm -hmm. you know, like there's nothing that I have. But, you know, as I've seen things on the gender disparity um, happen to my friends and to people that I've seen online and stuff, I'm like, well, I do have a huge sense of male privilege. And it's been difficult to assess that because I think especially when you grow up as a young black man, you're you're taught that you have it the, the hardest and, you know, and everybody's looking at you as a criminal and as stupid and as, you know, trying to take advantage of things um, that, you know, I never thought that I had any privilege to assess when I was a teenager. Um, and then, like, once I started get, getting out into the working world and like that kind of stuff, I was like, yo, I, I benefit from so much stuff. I mean, it's simple things like the fact that, you know, online I go by my actual name. You know, I've I've had several friends saying I can never do that. I would get so many stalkers. I would get so many, you know, bad mail and that kind of stuff. And, and you know, and like they're like, you know, I'm I'm like, you're right. You know, that's a sense that I didn't even consider when I registered my name, you know, but it's something that, you know, women in this space have to consider all the time, you, 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 you know, and like not only that, but like, you know, am I being too aggressive? Am I being too bitchy? Am I being not bitchy enough? Am I being too sexy? Am I, am I not sexy enough? You know, there's all these things with communication that I never have to think about in the same way that a lot of white people never have to think about race if they don't want to, yeah. you know, um, it's, it's a painful exercise to think about that stuff and to incorporate it into your everyday thought. Yeah, it, it is. You know, it's interesting. I talked to um, one of my early episodes, I talked to Greg Thomas, who was a, a protester in Ferguson. And um, we didn't really talk about that so much, but um, he he was also talking about like, um, I think he put it the, that women in technical spaces have it worse than black men have in technical spaces. He said, because kind of like you were saying, he was like, nobody's going to mess with a black man at a conference. And yep. um, and he was like, but but women, women are going to be harassed at a technical conference. And um, I think that's when I first started to realize how layered, because I started doing the show so I could learn, right? So I'm, I'm, I'm re I, I remember standing here um, talking to him and realizing just how layered and complex this idea of privilege is. Um, it, it's, it's complicated. It's like a, it's, it's like a, really poorly wound ball of yarn. That's a good way to put it, actually. And, you know, like sorting it all out is just, it's hard. But I don't know. I'm still of the opinion that, like, if we just kind of all work together, like, we can just burn the ball of yarn eventually instead of trying to, I don't know. 
I, I mean, I yes, I do think that that is the end goal, but that end goal is complicated because people benefit off of the current way things are. Yep. So you have to ask people to give up their benefits, you know, and that's where the rubber hits the road. And like some people are like, well, maybe being equal isn't that important, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I'm um, I'm writing my talk for AltConf. So I was pulling my hair out. I'm coming to talk to you. And then I'm going to go resume pulling my hair out writing this talk because nice. one of my points is, um, you know, like if, if you are a cisgendered white male in your approach to like speak at a conference, say you're a, I don't know, like a rockstar Ruby developer and someone's like, you're an amazing Ruby developer. Will you come talk at our conference? Well, maybe you should recommend like a person of color or a woman to do that instead. Right. And, you know, I gave, gave it to my talk to Justin to read and, and he was like, people don't get this. He was like, they don't understand why it's important for them to do that. All they see is you on a level playing field trying to take something away from them. Yes. And yes. it's so like, it's what we're taught for one thing, you know, like. We're all taught that that you everyone starts out equal. Not we're all taught, but the audience of my talk <laughs> is taught. You know, like we're all <laughs> we're all equal. We all start with even footing, and if you work hard enough, you can get to the top. And that's not true. And how do I make them? How do I help them understand that that's not true? I I don't know. Yeah, I mean that is the that's the million dollar question, right? Is yeah, there is this narrative that's interwoven in America in general that. Everyone has a chance and you just work hard and pull yourself up by your bootstraps and, you know, that you will be rewarded. And that's just not the case. <laughs> you know, like there's, you know, I grew up with plenty of people that are the hardest workers I've ever seen. And they're stuck in, you know, the lowest, most crappy living conditions and, you know, and that kind of stuff. There's definitely um, the whole American dream thing, I think, personally, is sort of flawed um, because it doesn't. Um, take into account sort of the uh, the uh, socioeconomic and the racial um, laws and, you know, and things that have been instituted specifically to benefit uh, most often white, white men um, in this country over, you know, hundreds of years. Well, yeah, it's, you know, we, we white people came over, we started a land grab, we, we took land from indigenous people. Um, you know, it was the men who could own it for the most part. I know there were exceptions, but the men owned it and the men were taught they could do whatever they wanted to do. And, you know, I think that fem feminism and like the suffragist movement in the early 1900s has really done a lot for women. Um, but that American dream still mostly applies to guys. We're just now getting to a, white guys. We're just now getting to a point where we're seeing like white women in positions of power and authority and, mm -hmm. you know, forget, forget people of color. It's just, it's not happening. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, it's, you know, you know, in like speaking of like the feminist movements and stuff, I mean, that's really where, um, when you hear of terms like womanist and things like intersectionality is because, you know, women of color felt excluded from the, 
general feminist movement. Like I, I'm not a expert, but I know that there were sort of different waves of feminism Mm -hmm. um, and that, you know, that women of color felt that those earlier waves just didn't, they were specifically for white women um, and that women of a color were were told kind of to, put that race stuff on the back on the back end you know and like and like help us get this you know um and they're like i can't this is my life (laughs) you know so um so um yeah there's a lot of times where you know the the fact that you know we are of a different race that you know and that has some serious societal impacts on you know how we're perceived and how we can lead lead a life is definitely glossed over well, it's still happening. So, so everyone who's listening, think about women in tech and what do you think of? Um, I think for most people, you think of a white woman. And, yep. you know, black women in tech have it much harder than white women in tech do. And that's something that should not be ignored. Yeah, I totally agree. You know, I'm I'm putting this talk together and I'm, I'm, being a little angsty about it because I'm like, well, I'm a white woman in tech. <laughs> am I like, am I helping or am I hurting? Um, and you know, the last thing I want to do is talk over other people or, or, or seem like I'm talking for other people. Um, so I don't know. That's, that's a, a it's a, it's a balance for me that I'm still trying to figure out like, where being a good advocate ends and where stepping on toes begins and all of that stuff. So. Yeah, it, 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 it is definitely a dance. I mean, I r- r- run into that specifically when I touch on um, issues in my video about gender, because obviously, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a guy and, you know, I, you know, I was born a male and identify as that. Um, so, you know, I really, you know, I, I haven't personally had those, experiences um of femininity that i bring up in in my videos um but at the same time i try to bring them up and address them i don't claim i'm the i'm the expert on them i don't try to hijack a conversation if people add things in the comments which they often do um specifically if there's women that are are kind of telling me that maybe i got something wrong or maybe i should have extended you know, accentuated something. I always try to, you know, highlight that and give them that, that space to like criticize. Um, so yeah, it's like difficult because, you, you know, I always have this feeling that I think that men need to be talking about issues that women deal with. Like, like things shouldn't be quote unquote women's issues that only they talk about. Um, but at the same time, I don't want to do it to an extent where I'm becoming that voice for women more than the women themselves. You know, so how do you find that balance or or do you like? Uh, I mean, I I just try to touch on things. And when I'm writing out my notes, um, you know, I just I, I guess the main thing I always try to say is I, I never want to come off as the expert on this stuff. Like I want to come off on giving my opinion and that my opinion is open to interpretation and to to criticism. Um, so I think when I keep that in the back of my mind, I naturally, um, when I'm writing, um, I, I think it, you know, and I think I'm effective at it, um, that, you know, it comes out to where I'm, I'm touching on it. I'm discussing it. I'm talking about why it's important. Um, but at the same time, I'm not like, you must listen to me, women. I will (laughs) tell you about yourself, you know, so. For what it's worth, I think you do a great job. Um. 
Oh, well, thank you. You know, I was watching the Mortal Kombat um, episode yesterday. um, And, you know, you're just, it's a fact. Like, there are a lot of breasts shown and the camera angles are, like, gratuitous. And this is a problem. And um, you're, you're just stating facts. Like, this is just how it is. And, um, yeah, I thought, I think you do an excellent job. Thank you. Thank you very much. Cause that's definitely something I put a lot of time into. Um, and I think about like, Hey, if, if a white person made a video about issues of color in games, would I have a problem with that? You know, I wouldn't want to, but I would definitely have a, a gut feeling like, 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 man, what's this white guy know about, uh, this stuff but you know i would watch it and if 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 i feel like they handled it the way that i'm trying to handle issues of gender um then i would be happy with it because i'm sure that there's women that might see my video and just see like the titles and just have sort of that gut reaction like man why is this guy talking about this stuff that he knows nothing about Mm -hmm. you know um but i hope that if people give it a chance and watch it that they see that I'm trying to approach it from a respectful way and to make it clear that guys, we need to be talking about this stuff and changing behaviors. Yes. Well, sure. If we're getting close to an hour, was there anything else you wanted to talk about today? Um, no, I guess I wanted to touch a little bit on the science blog. I don't think I talked about that as much as the other stuff. Um, so the science blog was actually what I started off first, um, before the podcasting and before the, um, gaming YouTube. Um, so science looks good. Um, and you know, I just, you know, one day I'll post kind of a long form thing on sort of like diversity in science. And like one day I'll just post a picture from the hobo and say, isn't this cool? You know, because my main thing with that is I want to mix it up enough so that people don't have to have some huge background in science kind of literacy um, to be able to enjoy um, my content. You know, if I write something where I feel like something is too technical, I'll, I, I will always kind of kind of, you know, link out to the to the details, not put that in the post. Um, for a while, when like I first started, um, I, 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 I would always ask my, um, my mother if the post was like understandable and that kind of thing. Um, so, so that helped me to learn sort of like how to phrase things in that balance, like, like between not dumbing it down too much, but just making it conversational and, and accessible. Um, and through that, I've actually been able to do a ton. Um, I was able to, um, talk on uh, NPR, which was awesome. Um, I was able to, you know, go to the various NASA kind of facilities in DC and, you know, in Maryland wow. and, and, and like Mitch Control in, in like Houston, which was awesome. Um, I was able to view the, the last shuttle launch, um, which was, you know, definitely a bucket list kind of thing. It was, uh, you know, the most awesome, one of the most awesome things I've ever seen was, you know, I I was the closest you could ever be to a, to, to a space shuttle without being an astronaut. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Which was terrific. I'm so jealous. Um, and most recently through, through, through the science blog, um, I was able to give the introduction, um, for Neil deGrasse Tyson when he came to visit Milwaukee late last year. Um, so I wrote an intro and I got to meet him and like hang out with him. I had no um, idea. Yeah. And all that stuff. So, um, yeah. So like I, I, you know, the uh, science stuff, you know, that's, that was kind of the first thing that really got things kind of, kind of, 
kind of going. So, so like, I definitely wanted to give that stuff some love as well. <laughs> wow. That's really cool. I mean, I, I guess because I've become so involved in the gaming space, that's how I know you is, is through that. So the science blog, like I knew you did it, but I had no idea that it led to so many opportunities for you. That's so cool. Oh yeah. 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 It was, it it was great. Wow. Uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson is on my bucket list of, of guests to have. Yeah. And so the funny thing is that, you know, I posted the photo, um, you know, when, when like I met him and like all it said on it was bucket list. It's <laughs> <laughs> like the only thing I put on there, you know, and, and, and like, I was basically like, if you don't know who this guy is and you're confused by the message and I don't know what to tell you, you know, I'm um, so jealous. But uh, yeah, it was like, I almost still can't believe it, to be honest, <laughs> be, 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 because it was just so awe-inspiring. And like, again, it's just one of those things that, you know, gives you energy to keep going um, when you get to, you know, see, see people that love what they do. Because that's one thing that I really got from him is just the energy and passion that he... Um, you know, that, that, um, he had, um, like he loved what, what he was doing. Um, and, and it, it was just so evident. Um, and that really kind of went out to me because, you know, I was, I was like, wow, like, you know, this is what you need to do to be successful, you know, is to just love stuff like people that are successful do because, I feel like it's really easy to get this thing where like, where like, uh, you think that like people are like mailing it in or they're just doing it to make money or like they're, or like they've kind of lost the passion for what they do after it becomes a job, you know, and, you know, I love what I do and, you know, and, you know, I just love to see that people that have reached kind of the height of success can also share that that um passion and enthusiasm what would teenage sharif think of you today oh man <laughs> teenage sharif would, would have no idea what was going yeah. on um well i guess it depends on what age because early teenage sharif definitely wouldn't um because early early teens um so so i grew up in patterson new jersey which is you know a um inner city environment um, you know, where there's not a lot going on, a lot of bad stuff going on, all that stuff. Um, but also a lot of good stuff going on. Um, and early teens, I mean, you know, I was, you know, I was the smart kid in class and all that stuff, but you just had no expectation of what came after that, you know, like, you know, like, uh, my parents didn't go to college and, you know, I didn't really have people in my ear, saying what comes after that all you saw was people you know like they go to school and they work and that's it mm -hmm. you know so i would be blown away um if you're talking late teens it would have been a little different because when i was 14 well when, when i was 13 to 14 um i got invited to this program i never heard of called new Jer called new jersey seeds um and the program was basically like a privately funded program that takes kids from um inner city environments um that are doing well and basically gives them additional classes and then gives them full four-year scholarships to these like elite private high schools in new jersey 
Um, so I never heard of that. I I never heard of any of the elite high schools because, you know, when you're in the hood, like you right. don't hear about this stuff. Um, so I ended up going to this school, Dwight Inglewood, which was like, you know, this like $15,000 a year high school. Um, and I ended up doing really well. And the fact that I went to this school with like really rich kids, like, you know, like Patrick Ewing's kids went there and, you know, and sort of, you know, like, uh, um, what's her name? Like, uh, Brooke Shields and like Mira Servino went to the school and that kind of thing. So it was like a really, really elite school, but. Wow, I guess. Yeah. But, but like when, when you go to the school as one of the few people of color, as well as one of the few, you know, people that aren't rich there and you see these people stumbling to get this shit and you can get it. It just gave me the confidence in the world that, you know, I can do anything, you know, because like, here's these kids with, you know, all the advantages in the world and they're still coming to me for help, mm -hmm. you know, on their pre-calculus, you know? So like that really, um, was a big changing point being involved in the seeds program. Um, not in terms of that, but also in terms of giving back, you know, because the seeds program was just a bunch of people taking a chance on a bunch of kids, you know, so it really, you know, so, so I, you know, I've, I, I continue to do volunteer work f for them, even though I'm no longer in the, uh, in the New Jersey area. Um, but it always instilled this, um, feeling that I need to give back and like help others that don't have the same advantages that, that, that I currently have now. Cause I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for people taking a chance on me. You know, and, and, and that ties into what we were talking about in terms of that American dream stuff is, you know, people had to take a risk on me. If I just worked hard, I probably wouldn't be where I am now. Cause that's just not how it works when you're, you know, at a system of disadvantage. That had to have felt like entering the twilight zone. Oh, it was super weird. Um, it was super weird because, you know, like I had never, I, I had honestly never known a white person before I went to this school. Um, so, you know, I, you know, I, I obviously had TV and stuff, but I just didn't have a relationship with a white person that wasn't a teacher or a principal or something like that. So like, as far as like somebody my age, you know, so yeah, it was totally like the twilight zone. Um, it was creepy. Um, and you know, there was definitely some negative experiences there. Um, but I also made some really good friends and, you know, it just helped me to know that it doesn't matter what your background is. Like you can still be a jerk. You can still be a nice person. You, you, you can still be dumb. Like you can still be smart, you know, like it really went against the narrative that, you know, you saw everywhere, which was the kids from the hood are dumb and don't know stuff. And the kids from the suburbs are, are smart. It just wasn't that way. Mm -hmm. You know, it was like much more nuanced and mixed than that. I'm so glad you got that opportunity. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a great, and, 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 you know, and I know that like, like my mom told me that she was really worried because like, she was like, you know, like, uh, well, I found this out kind of later but she had had conversations with the people running this like a program like you know i want sharif to have the best opportunity but i don't want to lose my son i don't want him to become someone that i don't recognize i don't want him to become whitewashed i don't want him to forget his blackness you know like you know like i you know that like there were some serious concerns with that um you know when i was kind of coming up so wow well, I think that's a great place to end the show. Um, Sharif, where can people find you? 
Uh, so you can find me at sharifjackson.com. That's uh, S as in Sam, H-A-R-E-E-F as in Frank, jackson.com. Um, and I'm basically registered on most social networks under Sharif Jackson. So that's Twitter, Facebook, Google+, LinkedIn, Pinterest, uh, you know, Elo. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, oh, Elo. Yeah. Um, all that stuff I am on as uh sh- as Sharif Jackson. So like that'll have links to n- not only my podcast, but the podcast that I've ap- uh, appeared on of which less than or equal will be making an appearance Yay. on my podcast uh, page. My name's going to be with Lee Alexanders. That's pretty neat. Yes. Yes. <laughs> it's going to be there with Adam Sessler and Jeff Kanata and all these awesome people. Um, and uh, yeah. And uh, it'll also have links on like how to subscribe to both the uh the uh youtube gaming videos which which you could also find at gaminglooksgood.com that just directs you to the part of the site with the gaming videos and sciencelooksgood.com directs you to the part of the site with the, with the science videos um so so uh, yeah all my stuff is there at sharifjackson.com check it out well, and you can find the show on Twitter at less than or equal. If you have feedback, suggestions for guests, or would like to be a guest, please go to less than or equal.com and fill out the contact form. If you have a few minutes, I would so greatly appreciate a review on iTunes. If you don't have a few minutes, 30 seconds to leave a star rating would be amazing. Thanks so much for listening. Oh, wait, Patreon. We also have a Patreon, which you can find at patreon.com slash Aline, which is A-L-E-E-N. Now, thanks so much for listening. Until next time on an internet near you, I'm Aline Sims for Less Than or Equal.